But before we get to 2020, right, we need to end 2019. And so that means today we are going to conclude our sermon series through the book of Proverbs, The Pursuit of Wisdom. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward with the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, we would love you to, to grab one, keep it, take it home if you don't have one at your house. And we want you to be able to, to see what God's word says for itself. Not just what I say, but what the scriptures say. And it will be a second before we get there, but you can go ahead and turn to, to the book of Proverbs and just wait, and uh, we'll catch up and dive in, in in a few. But I wanted to let those of you know who are visiting or who maybe haven't been with us through this whole series, a little recap of what we've studied so far. So we spent a, a, a couple weeks uh, going through Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 in their entirety, unpacking what is the pursuit of wisdom. This first nine chapters is a, a letter from King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived to his son, trying to impart some wisdom to him, giving him some instruction. And we unpack some overarching truths, some, some key themes throughout that. Namely, we talked about there's, there's two paths. Right, we had the path of folly that led to death and destruction. And then we had the, the path of wisdom, which leads to life. We talked about that these two paths have very different ends. They're very, very opposite of one another. And that's because you begin down those paths from a, a different heart stance. Right? The path of folly begins with pride, with laziness, with a lustful heart, and with selfishness. Again, that leads to death and destruction. But the path of, of wisdom, right, it begins with humility, with diligence, with contentment, and with selflessness. And that leads to life. That leads to eternity with God. And so Solomon's warning to his son here becomes very, very clear, and it becomes very pertinent to us. All right, we don't want to end up over here in death and destruction. We don't want those heart positions. We want life and eternity with the Lord. And so some, some things that Nick unpacked for us in those first few weeks, uh, some key truths, some landmines, and then some definitions. So let's run through these really quick. First, a landmine of Proverbs would be using the book of Proverbs as a, a mix and match of truths, using it as a a glorified self-help book. That's, that's not what the book of Proverbs is. It's not, let's just pick what we want and let's apply it to my life however I desire. Right, the key truth is that we should use Proverbs like we use all of Scripture, to understand what God has said about his creation and ultimately to, to see the redemptive story, the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of Proverbs. That's the key truth as we have unpacked all these things of the pursuit of wisdom is ultimately to pursue the Lord, to understand who he is and to see what Jesus has done for us. So that brings us to some definitions we've been working with, right? The definition of wisdom and the definition of folly. So wisdom, Nick simplified it as knowing what God wants and doing it, right? Seeing God, serving God, following Jesus. Understanding what God has said and, and doing it. Whereas folly is being unaware, just simply don't know, being willfully ignorant, like la, 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 I don't want to hear Right? Or totally rejecting, refusing what God has said, not living according to what he has told us. Those are, those are the contrasting things we have here. Knowing what God wants and doing it, not knowing for whatever reason and, and rejecting it. And as we concluded chapters one through nine, we then went into some different topics. We talked about marriage, we talked about parenting, we talked about pride, we talked about money, we talked about sex, we talked about our, our heart position. And, and in all of these, we wanted to see how these truths that we had learned from Solomon in chapters one through nine applied in these various areas. And Proverbs has a lot to say on all of those subjects, uh, but we, maybe you noticed some of those outlines got a little repetitive, right? That, that's purposeful. Recognize which path you are on. They both have distinct ends. And then follow Jesus. 
right? We, we highlighted what some of those differences are in each of those paths. How do you know which path you are on? How do you know who is wise and who is foolish? But ultimately, when you are brought to that awareness, we, we should choose Christ and we should follow him. And so today, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to apply that to the subject of friendship. We're going to talk about wisdom and friendship. And we're not, again, just talking about this so I can be a good friend or I can have better friends, but those should be the byproduct of us following Christ, of wisely pursuing him. And there was a lot that I was convicted about in preparation for the sermon, and I had a few extra weeks to prepare, so there's a lot I consumed and more than I can share with you in our three hours of my message today. I'm just kidding. We're not going to take that long. But uh, because there's so much that I've learned, I do want to commend to you a couple resources that I've spent some time in, and also to let you know if you've consumed these, you may be like, that sounds kind of familiar. So it's kind of my, my blanket citation, although there'll be some specific quotes that I share, share as well. Uh, but Tim Keller, he preached a sermon called Friendship in 2005. Uh, some things from there that really blessed and challenged and encouraged me in preparing. Uh, Why Friendship is So Important, a two-part series by J.D. Greer. He preached earlier this year. And then uh, a book titled The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. He talks about four different loving relationships and specifically has a chapter on friendship. And so, again, while we recognize these men are helpful, right, they helped inform me as I preached to you today, we ultimately want to know what does God have to say, right, not what does men, man have to say. And so that's the question we're seeking to answer. What does God have to say about friendship? Now, some of us may think, well, it's, it's that easy, right? Jesus is my best friend, right? Avoid following people who lead me into sin, and, and that's all that it takes. And while that's true, I think as we drill down more into it, it'll help us to avoid being ignorant, being unaware, it'll give you no excuse for rejecting. You won't have any excuse for being a foolish friend. So that's my hope this morning, is that as we understand what God says about friendship, we would all be wise in our relationships with our brothers and our sisters. And so the first thing that we need to do, if we want to know what God has to say, we have to think about the purpose of friendship. Why do we even have it in the first place? So that's our, our first point on your bulletins this morning, is ponder the purpose of friendship. Ponder the purpose of friendship. And I want to share uh, three verses with you, specifically from Proverbs. Throughout all of these points, there could have been a lot more, but we ch- I tried to narrow it down to help keep it concise. And uh, we're going to read through these, and then we'll, we'll come back and unpack them a little bit. But the first one is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. And it says this. So it'll be on the screen. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the wicked lead them astray. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. See, our culture leaves a lot to desire when it comes to friendship. We don't, we don't really see it as important. We don't really see it as purposeful. And, uh, you know, we've cheapened it for all of the relationships that we have online. Whatever social media platform, right, we call those our friendships, our relationships. And while you certainly are sharing time with those people as we mindlessly scroll for hours of what is happening in our friend groups, are we actually living life with those people? Think about it. How many people would you consider close friends? I think in general, we, we don't pursue friendships because it, it really doesn't serve a huge purpose for us. I think about this. Marriage, right, it helps us reproduce, keeps our species alive biologically. 
parents and guardians, we experience an affection, but is that really needed for survival? How about this? None of us want to be vulnerable, right? We can accomplish what we need to get done with our neighbors, with our coworkers, not killing each other, right? Producing things that we need for survival without being extra vulnerable with them. Right, simple companions of, of similar location or, or vocation, that's, that's not friendship though. We, we tend to put these other loves ahead of friendship. All right, we put our marriage first, friends second. We put our relationship with our kids or kids with our parents ahead of our friendships. We put our work ahead of our friendships. In fact, sometimes we don't even consider friendship a love at all. We, we don't value it at all. We don't even consider it. But, but it should be considered. It should be a value because we as human beings are a value. And, and this makes my head hurt a little bit, and maybe it won't be as hard for you to understand, but, but think about this for a second. Because we're made in God's image, we are made for friendship. It's a part of the eternal nature of God. Right, the Trinity is the eternal loving relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we are made to reflect that, then we should be in relationship with one another. Think, think about this. Right, when God created Adam, before anything bad had happened, before there was any sin, God had just declared everything was good, but then he says, it's not good that Adam is alone. See, Adam was perfect. He was like God in every way but one. He didn't have relationship. He was lonely. He wasn't lonely because he was imperfect, but he was lonely because he was perfect. A quote from J.D. Greer, he says this, every other problem in our lives arises out of sin and imperfection, but loneliness is the one problem that we have because we are made in God's image. And he gets a little sassy here. If you're content with being a loner, congratulations, you aren't very much like God. Think about that. If you're okay being a loner, you're not very much like God. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like God. That's what we're talking about as we're wanting to pursue wisdom. C.S. Lewis says this, Friendship is unnecessary like philosophy or art. It has no survival value. But rather, it's one of those things that gives value to survival. See, you can get by without friends, but you can't really live as we were purposed to live without them. God made us to be in community. So back to our, our scriptures, Proverbs 12, 26. If our purpose is to bear God's image, we shouldn't be walking with the wicked who is leading us away from God's image. We should be walking with the wise. We should be trying to grow in godliness. The purpose of our friendship is to reflect the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We want to hang out with the righteous. The purpose of friendship should be growing closer to God. Proverbs 13, verse 20 emphasizes that, right? It clearly shows that there's one relationship that affects your path, your companions. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your coworkers, but your, your friendships. The, the phrase, friendship defines our future, or show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Right? That originated from Solomon in Proverbs. How about Proverbs 18, one and two? This is a, a memory verse we've had in our foundations class. I should call on one of you right now to make you recite it, but I, I won't do that. In sin, we oppose the image we are made to bear. We would rather isolate ourselves and seek our own desire than be a community and seek God's desires. We take pleasure in our own understanding, and that's not how it should be. We should take pleasure in, in God's understanding. So as we think about this, consider what is your understanding of friendship? What have you seen as the purpose of being in relationship with other human beings? Is it to be 
growing in Christ-likeness, to be getting closer to the image you were made to bear, or your relationships not actually doing that? Do your people help you bear the image of God? See, God has given us this ability and this opportunity to experience part of his eternal nature. He set it forth so that we can, guys, not pursue our own desires, but pursue his desires. And I want to make a point for clarity. There's going to be words like neighbor and companion and friend all throughout Proverbs today, and there is differences between that. But what I want us to think about is that friends aren't just people who have the same job as us, the same hobby as us. They sit next to us in school. They're on our team, whatever. Friends are people that we, yes, have an affinity for. Yes, there's a likeness, but there's also got to be an unlikeness. Friends also should be diverse. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? God's desire is that would be, we would be sharpening each other, that we would be growing in Christ-likeness. And that means there's got to be some friction. There's got to be some things that aren't quite alike in one another. Right? We've got to get past the surface-level things and get to the deep things that we are united in. Again, the Trinity is diverse. The Father, Son, and Spirit are, are different, but in their very nature, they are one. Are your friendships, regardless of what shape, size, color they are, what their likes are, are they united in glorifying God? That is the deepest unifying purpose. That is the only way that people who are unlike each other can can be in relationship, by by drawing near and fearing the Lord. C.S. Lewis said this, that friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more companions discover they have a common insider interest. They have the very condition of having friends, excuse me, the very conditioning of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. The goal of friendship should be to pursue something altogether different. The goal of friendship is to move past the surface level things and move into the God-glorifying things. That should be our united purpose, is to have relationships that bring glory to God and grow us in our Christ-likeness. Which that brings us to our our second point here. Not only should we think about what the purpose of friendship is, but we then need to actually pursue godly friendships. God calls us to pursue godly friendships. Again, godly friendships are seeking to bring him glory and, and bear his image, reflecting the nature we were made to bear. And how do we do that? How do we find people that we can do that with? Well, earlier in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter seven, verses four and five, he said this, it says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Right? Keep away from the forbidden woman. So don't, don't follow sin nature. Don't follow those who would tempt you, but follow wisdom, follow insight. So all we have to do to pr- pursue godly relationships is follow those who have done everything that we've studied for the last several months. I'm not gonna go back and unpack all of those things, but your friendships should be with people who are pursuing the path of wisdom, Godly friendships will be with people who are pursuing the path of wisdom, not with people who are on the path of folly. Now, we'll get to later the idea of evangelism and that Jesus was a friend of sinners. There is a a purpose for being in relationship with those who are on the path of folly. But what I want to focus on now is is godly friendships. And what we're going to do is is we're going to break this down into two points, a, a 2A and a 2B. So first, 2A is seek friends who lead you to wisdom. Right, to have a godly friendship, that means first you need to seek someone to be in relationship with. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris, when he was talking about uh, wisdom in marriage, he mentioned that God brings us together to sanctify us. 
And I think that goes beyond just the marriage relationship. That's our friendships. That's our coworkers. God's put, God puts people in our lives to, to grow us to look like him. So are my relationships humbly pursuing the Lord? And even more than that, am I actually looking for people who are doing that for my life? Statements like bad company corrupts good morals. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future are, again, deadly serious. If we're not seeking those relationships, we're going to be heading down the wrong path. Right? Today's family worship Sunday. Students and kids, you probably get tired of your parents saying, don't hang out with those people. Right? Those people are bad. We want to avoid them. They're, they're speaking God's word to you. They're trying to encourage you to befriend those who are on the path of wisdom. That has a great impact on your future. In fact, uh, I want to share with you a study that was done by Tom Rath. He's the director of Gallup Polling Organization. Right? They do analytics and ad- advising. And uh, He did a, a study that found some surprising statistics. And Maybe you're familiar with this, but I'll, I'll share a few of them with you. It says, if your best friend eats healthily, you're five times more likely to eat healthy. That seems like a good impact of a godly friend. Married people say friendship is more than five times as important as physical intimacy. Seems like friendship has an important impact there, right? Those with no real friends at work have only a one in 12 chance of feeling engaged in their job. But conversely, those who say they have a best friend are seven times more likely to be engaged. Right? Your relationships have an impact on a lot in your life. They determine how you are satisfied in your marriage, in your work, in your physical health. So maybe it's no surprise that it also impacts your spiritual health. Probably also isn't a surprise for you to know that there's a correlation between not having good friendships, not having a best friend, and pursuing addictive and damaging behaviors, pursuing a life of crime, not wanting to pursue education. Those are all things that also come from lack of relationship. So who are you spending time with? Are you spending time with those who are wise or are you spending time with, with those who are foolish? Uh, it makes me think of uh, two guys that we may be familiar with, right? Woody and Buzz. Everybody know them from Toy Story? Yes? So, so these two guys, right, as they are in relationship with one another, they have some good times and some bad times. There's some times where Buzz is giving good advice. There's some times when Woody's giving good advice. There's a lot of times where they're giving each other bad advice or fighting. But what always sticks out to me is, is this one song, and you can sing it if you know it. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. I looked up the words, but I won't make you try and sing it, right? You got a friend in me. No matter all the hard times they went through, the ups and the downs, they stuck it out. They had a friend in one another. They didn't forget that. If we want to pursue godly friendships, even if there's fighting, even if there's hard things, we're going to stick together with one another. A wise friend will push through that. And a wise friend is going to do some things to encourage you, to push you forward in your life, to push you forward in your relationship with God. And so I'm benefiting here from, from J.D. Greer's sermon again, but I want to talk about three relationships, specifically in the life of King David, that were wise friendships for him. First, there is what he calls the crown bestower, right? the prophet Solomon, who comes to David when he's a little lowly shepherd boy, and he anoints him with oil and says, you're going to be the king. You may not think you're too special, but God has big plans for you. Do you have someone in your life that is like that, who is putting a crown on your head, who is reminding you of who you are in Jesus Christ, reminding you of the truths of the things that you've accomplished, the victories that you've won, is encouraging you, is lifting you up, and is building you up? 
encouraging you and pointing you to the fruit that you've realized and that is potentially in your future if you continue to follow the Lord. The second relationship is a faithful companion, right? We all know about the friendship of David and Jonathan. Through thick and thin, Jonathan's father was trying to kill David, but he never left his side. In fact, it says in 1 Samuel 23, he once walked 30 miles just to encourage David in the Lord. Do you have a friend that'll be there for you like that? Do you have a friend that you can call at lunch and say, man, I just need you to pray with me for two minutes? Do you have a friend who says, man, I know you're going through this thing. Let's fast together about it. Man, I don't, I don't know what you need right now, but I'm just gonna physically be here with you. Do you have a faithful companion like that? One who will strengthen you in the Lord. And then finally, we, we need truth-telling friends. Right, David, he did some things that he ultimately regretted later in his life, but it took a friend bringing it to his attention. Right, the prophet Nathan, when he comes to David, after he has taken another man's wife and he sinned against the Lord, Nathan tells a story about a rich man stealing a poor man's lamb, and David gets all upset, and then Nathan's like, you are that man. He points out his sin. He calls him out. That's part of godly friendships. Right? Do you have a friend who's going to meet you at your house or at your office and confront you and say, what are you doing? Do you have a friend who's going to text you and say, are you actually doing your quiet time? Are you actually pursuing the Lord? Do you have a friend who, when you say something that offends them, is going to say, that's, that's not honoring to the Lord. That's not respectful. Do you have a truth-telling friend? Telling the truth in love, helping you pursue the Lord. Now, in all these relationships, one thing that I tend to do is I expect perfection out of my friends. So sorry to those of you who are my friends if I'm ever putting something on you that the Lord did not mean for you. Right? We are never going to be perfect. And we need to have all of our relationships in grace. Right? Did you know that the only intolerable sin is not giving grace to one another? The only sin without grace is the sin of not giving grace. As we read in Matthew 18, the, the unforgiving servant, the friends were outraged because Nothing was happening to these people who weren't forgiving one another. God asked the church to, to be gracious and to forgive. Jesus says to forgive as, as we have been forgiven. Right, don't expect perfection from our friends. They're not always going to be perfectly there. They're not always going to perfectly encourage you. They're not always going to call you out on every sin. But we need to have grace with them. Kyle Adelman, he, he points out, that the church, we tend to focus on and be outraged about those outside the church who aren't following God. And we give them no grace. The people who need it the most, we give them no grace. But the people within the church who aren't forgiving, who should have God's grace and know to forgive one another, we never get outraged at their passivity towards sin. We should be enraged when there isn't grace given to one another. And we should stop pointing the finger at those who don't know Christ yet, who haven't experienced his love. And all this to say, right, talking about friendship can be easy to point at others. You probably have friends in your mind right now who, who you're thinking, well, I can grow in this way or they can grow in that way. Hopefully you're thinking more, well, these are friends that are fitting these categories in a positive way. But regardless, friendship takes two, right? It takes two to tango. So we're going to turn the attention to be on the fact that we need to avoid being a foolish friend ourselves. Avoid being a foolish friend yourself. Now we're gonna work through this in, in four sections and this is gonna be a little longer chunk here. Uh, this is where if you've been with us for a while, we've had the charts that have come up. 
And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read a few passages, two, three, four, put it up in a chart of folly and wisdom, and then when we've gotten through all four sections, for those of you who are my friends who prefer to take pictures with your phone, wait till the very end when they're all up there at once, okay? And uh, here's, here's what I want to encourage you guys with. If you weren't paying attention to the, the four heart positions that were on these two doors for the last eight months, think about these. Right? Diligence is wisdom. Laziness is folly. Contentment is wisdom. Lust is folly. Humility is wisdom. Pride is folly. Selflessness versus selfishness. That's how we're going to unpack these. That's how these four sections will be kind of walking through. So first, we're going to talk about diligence and laziness. And, and two that I want to share with you, Proverbs 17, 17, says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And then Proverbs 18, 24, it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Right? Your wise friendships don't just come and go when it suits them, but they are in it through thick and thin. And specifically, you are in it through thick and thin. You are working diligently to be in their lives. You are making a consistent effort, not being lazy, not just waiting for them to initiate, but being the one to initiate, being wise by pursuing them. And you don't need a thousand of them. I don't even want to tell you how many Facebook friends I have. It's it's embarrassing. I need to do a purge, right? But we just need one close friend, at least one close friend. Our blood relatives are connected forever without a choice, but a friend is closer than that because they are choosing to be with you. And if you're choosing to be with someone, if you're choosing to be that wise friend who's working hard, it better be to encourage and build somebody up. Right, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right, don't neglect to get together. Don't skip out on small group. Don't not come to church in a formal way. But also don't informally just wait for something to come up. They invite you and you say, well, I'll see if there's a better commitment that I can make. Right? Or there's a text message and you take three weeks to respond. And I know this is an area where I need to grow in myself. Right? Don't ignore someone when they reach out. Don't neglect them. And that time should be to, to build one another up, to encourage them. Because we know eternity's coming. We know the end of these paths is near. We want our friends to be on this path. I want to share a funny example with you just from yesterday with my sweet Adley. Uh, we were at family Christmas, and our little niece, Abriella, she had these really, really sweet boots on with her cute dress, and someone took them off, and then all of a sudden they were gone. We couldn't find them. Like, oh my goodness, where are these boots? Everyone's rushing to leave. It was chaotic. Where are these shoes? And uh, all of a sudden, Adley hears what's going on. She goes, oh, I know where they are. And uh, she goes right and gets them and brings them up. And we're like, Adley, thank you so much. She goes, yeah, well, I took them and I put them down here. Like, I, I, I hid them behind the door. And uh, what was more funny is she said, I'm a hero. I am such a hero. Not, not quite baby girl, right? But here's the reality. She paid attention and was there in a time of need. She was willing to serve somebody else. She was diligent and working hard for her friend, for her little niece. So as we look at a, a summary chart here that kind of unpacks some of these truths, right, what, what are you more looking like? Are you one who flees in adversity or who loves at all times? Are you one who has surface-level relationships with many or are you deep with just a few? Do you neglect meeting together? Are you failing to stir up and encourage or are you 
being there, not neglecting, always encouraging, always stirring each other to love and good works. That's the difference between a, a diligent and a lazy friend. Now let's talk about contentment versus lust. And again, lust is not just sexual lust. It's desiring anything that is not yours in an unhealthy way. Contentment is being satisfied in the Lord and what he's provided for you. So we're going to talk through a few passages here. First, Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 28, 23, it says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Proverbs 29, verse 5, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. My wife and I, we went through a, a devotional over the Advent season called Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul Tripp. And he defines uh, the term rebuke as com- comparing something to a standard and being found lacking. He talks about that's what happens when you look in the mirror in the morning. It's not what you want to be, it's not what you thought you were, and you know that you're lacking from that appearance. But the Bible reminds us in James 1.24 that we only know that we're found lacking when we look at his word. And when we are content with looking like the standard that God has set forth for us. See, if you're going to be a good friend, you're going to point someone to God's word and the standard that he has given. You're not going to flatter them. You're not going to lie to them. But you're going to speak truth. If you're flattering just to make someone feel better, or if you're flattering because you are trying to get something out of that person, if you're lusting out of something from them, you're setting a trap for them. You're ensnaring them. So are you telling your friends just what they want to hear? Because that's, that's like a kiss from an enemy. And it would be better to openly rebuke them, to remind them that, guess what? We all fall short of God's glory. None of us deserve to be worshipped. None of us have any kingdoms that are worthy of being a part of. But praise God that we can confess our sin, that we can be dependent on his love and his wisdom and his grace. So please stop thinking that you're all that in a bag of chips, Right? Say that in love, right? Again, the goal is to address sin and build up, not to tear down. But you need to speak truth. Don't be just trying to seek someone's approval. Don't be flattering just to earn a relationship or get something out of it. Be content that you have the best relationship in in Jesus Christ. Shoot straight with your friends. Again, a, a quick summary chart of these verses. We see that a fool hides their loves and falsely flatters, which which trips others up. None of us want to do that. We shouldn't want to trip up our friends. Rather, we we want to rebuke in truth and in love, show them the standard in God's word and encourage them to work towards that, faithfully wound to build up. Have someone in your life who will speak truth that may be hard to hear, but is for their good and for God's glory. Our third heart position then is humility versus pride. Proverbs 15, 22 says, A plan fails for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Are you a prideful friend who refuses to seek counsel, who won't listen? Are you a wise friend that will receive what others are going to tell you? Don't reject it. Ultimately, that's going to lead to to failure. And that's not to say let's have everyone's hands in the fire. Don't want everyone to give you counsel, but know who those few friends are. Be a wise friend by listening to counsel. Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever, confet- whoever covers an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. If you're a prideful friend, you're going to hold on to an offense. You're going to say, I am 
bigger and better than you, and I deserve to have full vengeance and full justice in this. You repeat it over and over in your mind. You never let it go. Or when, when you repent and you ask for forgiveness for something that you've done, instead of actually stopping, continuing to do that thing, you repeat it over and over again. You just said, sorry, friend, I'm not gonna do this again, and then the next day, and the next day, and the next day. It's a continuing issue. And I'm not talking about someone who's struggling to stop whatever that offense is. Right? That's very different than an attitude of, man, I don't even care. I don't care if that annoys them. I don't care if that frustrates them. I'm gonna do what I want to do. I'm gonna repeat that no matter what. That's not being a wise friend. Right? A wise friend will humbly serve and love on those who are close to them. They will seek reconciliation and repentance for, for all parties. Proverbs twenty two eleven 11 says, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have a king as his friend. But Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 say, make no friendship with a man given to anger nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. What is your demeanor? Nick talked about that our demeanor shows our disposition, what path we are on. Does your disposition, your demeanor show that you are a fool, an angry and wrathful fool? Are you someone who is wise and patient and gracious in what you say? Are you easily annoyed and frustrated, and not just with your friends, but in general. That's evidence of pride in your heart. Even if words don't actually come out of your mouth, what is your thought life? Are you thinking prideful thoughts? Are they angry? Are they wrathful? Or are they gracious? Do you have friends who are like the friend in verse 11, a, a king? Do you have a crew that others would want to join? Or are you like verse 24 and 25? People are becoming more like you in a sinful, angry, wicked way, a foolish way. Guys, much more could be said about pride and humility, but again, I would encourage you to go back a couple weeks when we talked about wisdom of pride versus humility. Even before that, wisdom in marriage, where Pastor Chris talked about that a lot. But ultimately know this, you need to be humble if you want to be a wise friend. Pride brings folly. Our last quadrant here is selfishness versus selflessness. Right, Proverbs 26, 18. It says, Like a madman shooting firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. Proverbs 27, 14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Think about this. If you are a wise friend, you are going to consider what you say before you say it. Is what is about to come out of my mouth going to bless somebody or is it going to curse them? Right? I don't just selfishly say whatever I want to say because I think it's good for this moment. I don't say it just to get a laugh. I don't say it just to get a reaction, but is it actually going to bless somebody? Right? We can joke around easily with friends, but we need to be careful that we're not poking wounds that we're not harming them, that we're not hurting them, that we're not being foolish. The second verse talks about that early mornings are bad. Some of you may disagree with that, but here's ultimately the point. Not that being up early is bad, but not knowing that your friend is not a morning person is bad. Right? Knowing what would bless them. If you're yelling blessings at the wrong time, something that doesn't fit the occasion, that's bad news. That'll be counted as cursing. 
Uh, I won't name names here, but there's a certain deacon at our church that I roomed with for a little while before I was married. And uh, every morning he came in and either played on his computer a song or sang a song for me to wake me up. He even wrote me his very own song. It was very, very sweet. And uh, guess what? That wasn't a curse to me. Right? He knew me and he knew that was a blessing. He knew that was fun. That speech was actually fitting that occasion. Because he also called me out when I needed to be called out. Right? He also spoke truth to me when I needed to hear it. He asked me questions when I would say something that was flippant or in jest. Right? We bless others not just by telling people what makes them feel good, but by knowing what they need most. See, in Ephesians 4.29, it says this. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't speak ridiculous, nonsensical things, especially things that would be crude or corrupting. Right? If you are selfless, you will think before you speak. You will be slow to speak, and you'll say words that fit an occasion, that build up, and that ultimately give grace, that lead people down the path of wisdom. And some of the best sweet speech that we can give is, is wise counsel. The most selfless people that I know are always willing to listen and share from God's word rather than their own opinion. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says this, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. We talked about being willing to receive counsel selflessly, but it also means that we need to not just always be on the receiving end. Right, a wise friend will know how to answer, will know how to bless their friends by giving counsel to them. And that's not just sharing your advice or just saying, well, look at that other person. You're better than them or you're not as bad as them. But it's pointing them back to God, back to his word. Right, it's not helpful to look horizontally when we want to be growing in Christ-likeness. And that only happens when we behold Christ, when we look at him. So if you want to be a wise friend, don't look horizontally. Right, that's like Luke 18, the, the rich man who says, thankful I'm not like that man, a sinner, a tax collector. No, but we want to be like, oh, I fall so short of Jesus and I want to grow in looking like him. What does God say I can do to, to look more like him? And if you want to grow in giving earnest counsel, I want to encourage you, there's still opportunity to sign up for the counseling conference in, in Indiana. Right, Nick is excited to take a group out there. Those of you who are signed up, I know you'll be blessed by that. But don't you want to know how to answer a friend? Don't you want to be on the giving end, not just the receiving end? Be selfless, not selfish. And I realize I skipped the chart on the last section. So let's throw up the one for selfishness and selflessness, and then we'll show the, the whole big chart. So don't, uh, the fool doesn't consider blessing others. Rather, they just um, do what they want. But a wise man knows what would bless those who are in their relationships. The fool's speech is in jest. It's corrupting. It doesn't fit the occasion. It adds nothing to what is being said. And their advice is insincere. Whereas the wise man, his speech is wholesome, it builds up, it fits, it's grace-giving, and his advice is earnest, it's serious. All right, and for those of you who want to see the whole chart, we'll throw it up here and, and you can grab a picture of it. This is everything that we just walked through. Right? This is a, a good survey from God's word, some patterns of what a fool in a friendship looks like and what a wise man in a friendship looks like. So whether it's you or whether it's your friend, and really, it's, it's all of us, right? All of us are sinners. All of us fall short. We all need to grow, right? We all need to grow in being wise and not being foolish. Maybe the most dangerous place that we can be is the same place we were yesterday. Not growing at all. 
not pursuing Christ-likeness, not walking down this path of wisdom. We need to be with people who are pushing us towards the Lord, people who are giving us a gentle shove and a loving encouragement to grow in our Christ-likeness. Now you may say, well, Jack, Jesus was a friend of sinners. So if I'm hanging out with sinners, how can I have someone pushing me towards the Lord? I just gotta be out sharing the gospel all the time. Some of you may say, well, Jack, James 4.4 says that being friends with the world is like being an enemy of Christ. How could I ever hang out with someone who's a sinner? I don't wanna be an enemy of God. Well, let me tell you, those are not contrasting things. See, as we look at who we should hang out with and why, and ultimately we need to look at Jesus and his example, and his example is that, guess what? His purpose and his friendships was always about the gospel, always about discipleship. Those who weren't in the kingdom yet, discipling them into the kingdom, giving them the gospel. He wasn't there just to hang out with them, just to say, your sin's okay, and I'm just here to hang out with you and get to know you. No, his purpose was to point them to his Father in heaven. And those who are in the Lord, he says, guys, you can't just stay here, right? The wise thing to do would be for you to grow so that you can teach others what I have taught you. His relationship with the wise was discipleship just the same. Guys, we need to understand that our time is, is a spiritual currency, that we need to invest to see growth, to see gains, to see capital dividends happening. Guys, we need to be in the hard places sharing the gospel with those who don't know. But if your friendship with unbelievers is simply just hanging out, just being a companion, just looking forward to a three-day weekend rather than inviting them to church, that's not good. And if your relationship with believers is just to say, hey, let's just get out here and let's just go watch a game and let's just do something fun, maybe not practicing anything sinful, but not growing, never, never pursuing that, you may want to reconsider that relationship as well. Right? We're supposed to be iron sharpening iron bringing people into the kingdom and growing them in their wisdom. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit accomplishes that, but he uses us in that endeavor. I think about who are your top five friends, the five people who you spend the most time with. What, what path are they on? Are they helping you grow in Christ's likeness and wisdom or, or not? I want you to consider this phrase from, from Tim Keller, which I think kind of summarizes what type of wise friend you should be and you should be looking for in others. He says, a true friend always lets you in and never lets you down. Right, that's our aim, to be emotionally vulnerable and to have a connection with people, but to show unwavering love and support, holding them up, never letting them down. But the truth is, this is a crushing statement, right? Always let you in, never let you down. Can any of us do that in our own strength? No. Right? We're all going to fail. We all fall short, and we will continue to fall short. Right? The reason that our friendships have much to be desired is because we have much to be desired as sinful beings. So who's the one relationship that we should have that will be perfect in that way? Right? The cliche answer that Jesus is my best friend. Right? We need to finally prioritize our friendship with Jesus. This is the only place where we perfectly find and perfectly have the ability to, to grow. It's through Christ and through the gospel. So that's our third takeaway, is that we need to prioritize friendship with Jesus. He's the perfect one who never lets us down and who always lets us in. I want to encourage you to, to turn to John chapter 15, verses 9 through 16, and we're going to talk through this, this briefly, but 
Jesus, he stood as a model for friendship, a model for how we should function in our relationships with one another. Jesus was ready to befriend anyone and everyone, and he was always about the purpose of glorifying his Father in heaven, growing others in godliness. So I want to read for us chapter 15, verses 9 through 16. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my command that you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give these things to you. So what we see here in verses 9 through 12 is talking about the love of the Father and the Son, the eternal friendship, the eternal loving relationship, the the purpose of friendship given to us is, is based upon love and the love of God. This love is the impetus for friendship. It is where bearing the image of God originates and Ultimately, it brings us to what Jesus says in verses 13 through 14. He never lets you down. Greater love has no one than this than someone would lay down his life for his friends. That's never letting us down. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. Guys, that's radical. That's radical love. That is ridiculous friendship. And it's not because we did anything, right? We didn't earn that, but it's solely because of his love his righteousness, his justice, and his mercy. God walked with Adam in the garden. Jesus walked on earth for 33 years as a man. The Holy Spirit promises to walk with you as the indwelling temple every day of your life when you submit to Christ. He will never let you down. He will always be with you. Spurgeon said something to to this effect. He said, Jesus looked down from the cross and saw people ravaging his clothes, staring at him with hate, cursing and spitting at him. And in the greatest act of friendship ever, he stayed to die for them. Jesus never lets us down. That's the perfect friendship that we should want. And not to mention, he always lets us in, right? Verses 15 and 16. He says, you're not servants anymore. I'm not up here and you're down here. You are my friends. Everything the Father has shown me, I will show you. Think how vulnerable that is. The most powerful, most amazing being. He says, I I want you here. And he does this solely because of his love for us. You can't get much more vulnerable than having your arms nailed wide open. That's the friend that I want. And our, our response, right? Our response behaviorally, acting as a wise friend is from a change relationally with God, right? Proverbs 1.7 talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? That starts us down this path of change and of behavior that would honor the Lord, but Proverbs 8, 17 through 21 talks about the inheritance that comes from being a friend of wisdom, right? Friendship with God, relationship with God is the fulfillment of that knowledge. It changes our hearts to pursue a loving relationship with Christ. So let me ask you, How is your relationship with Jesus? 
Do you have a relationship with him? Are you a friend of Christ? If you're not, he stands ready to receive you. He has offered his forgiveness for you. He humbly left heaven and came as a baby. Even if he had been born as a royal, like those we see in England, like baby Charlotte or whatever, where everyone went crazy and paparazzis everywhere, that would have been too humble for him. But he was born in the dirt, in a barn, in the middle of nowhere. Shepherds, ugly, stinky, smelly guys who were out in the field were the first ones to come and visit him. That humble friend, he stands ready to be your best friend. Surrender to him. The fact that Jesus was born confronts us with the truth that we are imperfect and that we need a perfect friend, that we need the one who will always let us in and never let us down. If you already have a friendship relationship with Jesus, how are you doing at cultivating that? Are you pursuing him? Right, would you be in his top five list? Would he be in your top five list? Are you spending time with him? Are you communicating with him? Are you seeking to honor him? We're about to start a new year, 2020. I don't know if you guys are into New Year's resolutions, but I would encourage you, if you're feeling like you can grow in your relationship with Jesus, which should be all of us in this room, right? we can all grow. None of us are gonna be perfectly in relationship with him until eternity. Until eternity, Let's talk about some ways that we can grow, that we can set some good habits, that we can be more humble, that we can be more selfless and diligent and content. Let's grow in unity with Christ that we can be focused on bringing him glory. That's what the purpose of friendship is, especially the most godly friendship, the one with God himself and the person of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought no one but myself. Guys, we found that bond. Hebrews 4.15 says we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in every way. Jesus can relate to you. And he wants to. He wants you to be a good friend. He wants you to befriend other good friends. And he wants to be your best friend. He'll never let you down and he'll always let you in. So as we close today, we're, we're gonna sing a, a song, a hymn that some of you may be familiar with, right? Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Talks about that Jesus is saving, he's helping, he's loving, he's keeping, and he's always with me till the end. Let's let those words really resonate in our souls. Let's really think about the truth of what we are singing. And if you need to get right with your relationship with the Lord, either for the first time or for the ongoing it's time, Right, let's do that right now. I'm also gonna invite the ushers forward. We're gonna receive our offering here as we t- sing our final worship song. But would you join me in, in prayer this morning? God, we love you and we thank you for just the truth of your word. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you for the friendship that you offer to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we rejoice in the fact that you can sympathize with us. You empathize with us. You know what we need more than we know what we need. You can help us be a wise friend. But more importantly, God, you are the wise friend that we want to magnify in this place this morning. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us, that you will never let us down, that you always let us in. We praise your name this morning, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.